Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing this morning? I hope uh, you have come here and really have just poured your heart out in worship this morning. Um, when I got uh, in the office this Monday, um, I was so eager to come back here and worship with you guys. I, I've been ready all week, um, ready to come and just worship and just give it all to God once again. Um, but if you are new with us, uh, welcome to Elevate. If you're just first time worshiping with us, welcome and, and coming to worship with us. Um, Lisa mentioned earlier, but I want to mention it again. Um, if you want to stay connected with us throughout the week, uh, you can follow us online on all social media platforms, and you can find that on our QR code. Also on our QR code, there is a, um, a Bible app portion that you can click on that will go directly to the Bible app to follow along with our sermon series. We are actually in a new sermon series this, this week, and we will be doing that for the next four weeks. It's crazy to think that we have um, been going, to, we've been worshiping together for an entire series. We've been worshiping together for five weeks as a new church plant, and today we start our second series. Um, I just want to mention, so I can get my brownie points uh, for one time a year, it's my mother-in-law's birthday, Jenny Truesdale, so make sure you say happy birthday to her. She, uh, she is 39 today, so make sure you say happy 39th birthday. Um, but we are in a new series called Finding Your Way. This is a series we're looking at a, a very old story in the Old Testament, and we think that if we follow along with the path that these Israelites take, they kind of go through the same path that we do on our path towards Christ. In the story, it, it, it takes place in numbers. They also reiterate the story in Deuteronomy, so you can find it in both places. Um, but this is a very, very small portion, but, but made a huge impact and kind of their decision that the Israelites made during this time really followed them for the rest of history. You can even see in Jesus' time that they kind of reiterate and they kind of talk about and bring up this mistake that the Israelites made in this time. So we are just past the Exodus. So we have Genesis with Adam and Eve. We have it through where they go into slavery. They get out of slavery in Exodus with God coming to Moses saying, you need to bring your people out of Egypt to the promised land that I, that I have placed for you. So why don't you go and get the people and go to the promised land. So they're kind of at the end of that. They've exited out of slavery, and they're going towards the promised land, and they're at this point where they have a decision to make if they're going to enter into the promised land or not. So what they did is God said, hey, why don't you send some people into the promised land to check it out? So everybody kind of understands what they're getting themselves into. So they decided there was 12 tribes that were part of these Israelites, and they took one person from each tribe and sent them out into the promised land for 40 days just to check it out. And that's where this story starts out. You can read along, you can follow along on our Bible app, or you can follow along on the screen. Um, if, you click on the, if you go on the QR code, it will be there as well. So follow along with Numbers 13, 26 through 33, where our story picks up today. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Parnon. There they reported to them, that, to the whole assembly, and showed them a fruit of the land. In the previous scripture, they, they said they picked some grapes and they put um, a pole through the grapes of two people. That's how big these, this fruit was. Um, and it says... They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it was flowing with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who lived there 
are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Even, uh, we even saw descendants of Achan there, and uh, the Amalekites live there in Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take the possessions of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread amongst the Israelites, and it spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored is dangerous who live in it, who live in it. And all the people saw there were of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there, which is the styles of Anak, come from the Nephilim. See, we seem like grasshoppers in their eyes. We look the same to them. I think what's going on in, with, with these Israelites is up to this point, God has been doing crazy things, crazy things, crazy things. In the story of Exodus, uh, if you guys remember that it, God literally made miracles happen day in and day, in, day out to make sure that these people exited this, this slavery that they've been in for over 400 years. God even guided the people through the desert to make sure that they are up to this point. And it, up to this point, they relied solely on God's decision. It, it, it made it seem like they didn't really have a choice. They were just following and following and following. And up to this point, God said, hey, why don't you go and make a decision for yourself? And the people were like, well, God, we don't want to go there. God, we don't want to go there. It's, it's dangerous there. If we stay here, if we don't cross the Jordan, it's safe here. Why in the world would we go to where it's dangerous? But the ten spies thought it was a terrible idea. And they convinced everyone in the camp that we should not go over there because it's dangerous. And then the story right after this, you see God is furious. He is so mad because he has led these people from being enslaved. He got them out of slavery, which they hated. And he led them to a place where he was going to give them the entire land. The entire land. And they chose. It's dangerous over there. You don't want to go over there. You want to stay where it's safe. And in response to that, God and Moses had a conversation. This is what he said here. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them, as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one who has saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness disobeyed me and tested me ten times, no one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has tested, treated me with contempt will ever see it. Because my servant Caleb had a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Here's the thing. No one will enter into the promised land. It says that no one will, will enter into the promised land that saw the wonders and the great signs that he did in Egypt. All the great signs and wonders that he did when he parted the Red Sea. He made sure that every single person that was above the age of 18 made sure that they were not going to enter into the promised land. 
what they did was God promised that they were going to wander the desert for 40 years to make sure that every single body would fall so that the next generation would go into the promised land. One of my favorite things that I, I love talking to people, and I've probably talked to, to many of you about this, is I love listening to people's testimonies. I love listening to where they were when God entered their life and what they're doing now. That is a basic testimony. I love it mostly because there are some crazy testimonies out there. There are some things that people were a part of before they met Christ, and God entered in an absolutely crazy way, and then because of that, they are doing some crazy things in the faith right now. I absolutely love hearing those stories. I want to share one with you that I heard uh, when I was in college. This guy lived down the hall for me, and um, I, I, I met him. He was a non-traditional student, meaning I think he was like 28, and the rest of us were 18, and he was a freshman. We started school at the same time, and I knew by looking at him that he had experienced something in his life. Um, he had a lot of scars up and down his arms that looked like, um, like somebody took like a cigar or something and pl- placed it out on him. Um, he had a big scar down his arm. He had some tattoos that looked um, as though a, like a 10-year-old did them with like a needle. And one day, we, we all came together, and we started sharing our testimonies. He said that he used to be a bank robber, and he would go and he would rob people, and there was a certain incident where they didn't cover their bases, and the feds busted in when they were robbing a bank. And he said it was like a movie scene where a flashbang came in, a big noise happened, and everybody just ran in different directions. And while he was running, he fell and landed behind this big desk. And because they're in a bank, there's a bunch of desks. And he said he was army crawling through the desk, weaving in and out of chairs to try to get away from the feds. He said, I just couldn't hear anything because of the loud bang, and it just sounded like scuffling and yelling. He said, I don't, I don't think there were any bullets, but I just pictured there were bullets flying over my head because they were trying to stop us because we've been robbing banks and robbing people for so long. He said he was finally caught that day placed in prison, and he had nothing to do. And he felt super defeated. He was depressed because he didn't know how long he was going to be in jail, in prison. And he found a Bible. And he asked the, the, the guards if he could have the Bible to read. And they're like, yeah, you can do whatever. And because it was the only book, he read it. And when he was done, he read it again. And for the third time on the way through, uh, he reached in Matthew, he realized that the story had a huge impact in his life. He started to direct everything that he was doing around what the scripture said. God changed his life in that moment. He went from being a bank robber to being a fully devoted Christian and started leading Bible studies and started doing worship stuff inside of jails to, to get people to devote their life to Christ in jail. So what he decided to do to, at he was just released like a year before he went to Bible college. He decided to go to Johnson University because he heard it somewhere, found a pamphlet somewhere and decided, well, I guess that's where I need to go. And he wanted to go to Johnson University to learn how to defend the faith so that nobody can convince him otherwise that Jesus is Lord. I remember me and my roommate at the time, we were sitting in the corner with our arms crossed and our jaws dropping. I'm like, 
my girlfriend just told me she wasn't going to date me if I didn't go to church, and that's how I ended up here. How in the world am I supposed to compete with a story like that? How am I supposed to get up on a Sunday morning and say, we need to follow Jesus, listen to my story? This is incredible. I'm going to tell his story instead of mine. But what I realized in this moment, what I realized in this moment, that God has different entry points for everybody. Everybody has a different entry point into the story of Jesus. The Bible, we need to really understand this for this reason. Bible to current day is one story. And it's God's story. It's not this guy's story. It's not my story. It's not your story. We just had the great opportunity of entering into his story at some point in our life, and we're all going in the same direction towards God. See, the moment when the Israelites enter the story, when it all went away. They had an opportunity to enter into God's story and they decided against it because they were in their discomfort. They thought that they could just continue to go on. They thought the hardest part of their life was over. And then they enter into another point and they got scared. And in that moment, they decided, no, God, I don't want to follow you in this way because it's scary over there. There's fear over there. What their most fearful thing was, was being in discomfort. What they lacked in this moment was wisdom on what's, what's happening in God's story. For the next 40 years, God did not want to give up on these people. God knew and he promised from, from the moment that he uh, talked with Abram that his chosen people, were gonna, his Messiah, was going to come out of these people. So God followed through with his promise. And over the next 40 years, he put them in kind of like a fishbowl. He controlled their environment. He took away their choice of food. He gave them the same food every day at the same time. He took away their choice of clothes. He said, look, you're going to go along these 40 days. Your clothes aren't going to fade. You're going to wear the same clothes every day. I don't want you to worry about clothes. He even told them where to go. He put a pillar of fire at night and he put a massive cloud during the day. And he'd say, look, you're going to follow this and just go wherever it goes. I don't want you to make a decision on what, on where you're going to go. Just follow me. For an entire generation, their kids only knew following God. Over 40 years, they never had to make a choice about where they're going to go. They never had to make a choice about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear what decisions they were going to make on how they were going to prepare food. None of it. All they had to do was make sure that they were going to follow God wherever He went. You can only imagine what that did. Over time, we, we see that these people go from being completely disobedient to God. When Moses would go and talk to God, they would just immediately disobey. But over time, you see people go from being disobedient to immediately obedient after 40 years. The one thing that I, that I am, I'm a very visual person. I love, if somebody explains something to me, I love visualizing it in my head. I, I, this is probably not overly great, but I love when, in Scripture when you would read a heavenly moment that nobody understands on earth and you try to picture it. 
try to read things like Revelation and you try to read things in the Psalms and Isaiah that just describe the majesty of God and you try to picture it in your mind, but it's just, you know that it's not the majesty of what it actually is supposed to be. But when I read this story, I've, I've really visualized God's story as a, as a massive highway. Like there's entry points at all, at all points in your life and you can jump on, but, it, but there's only one exit at the very end. Right when you decide to get onto God's story, there's only one way that it's going to end, and that's at, at, that's at, the, at the end of life with God. At the very beginning of, of Genesis, whenever Adam and Eve fell, there is a highway from that point all the way to the end of this earth. Now, this highway is not perfectly straight. In this moment, you see that there's a, there is a slight curve in there. For 40 years, they, they, they wandered the desert to try to make sure that they obeyed God in every single way. And in the same moment, whenever we enter onto this highway towards God, right when we enter on, we have to understand that this highway is perfect. That God's path is perfect. That it's consistent. That it's holy and perfect. And we need to make sure that when we get on this highway, we understand that it is, there is no wrong direction on this highway. We enter into God's path, we need to make sure that there is no wrong thing on this because it is going towards glory. When I was in college, there was one way to Knoxville, Tennessee um, that we always took, um, which was down 75, and then you just ran into Knoxville, and then you continue to go straight until you see this massive sign which says Johnson University. Like, we took that path every single time. And because, and, and during this time, we realized, man, it, take, it feels like it takes just as long when we reach Knoxville to get to Johnson University. Like, it felt like the hour and a half or two hours that you were on the highway, it felt like you just doubled it whenever you got onto these small little country roads. And me and my roommate were talking about that among some upperclassmen, and they said, hey, you know that you could just bypass all that? Like when you get to Knoxville, there's this highway called James White Highway. You could just like just circle around and you'll get here in like 20, 20 minutes faster. Me and my roommate just dropped our jaws like, are you kidding me? We've been doing this for like six months and you're just now telling us? But this was at a time before smartphones. And um, us millennials um, and probably below are really bad when we don't have our phones. We had a GPS, uh, which like had a little touch screen. You could type it in and it would kind of yell at you. And it would always say wrong turn, wrong turn, wrong turn, wrong turn, if you guys ever experienced one of those before. And we were on our way down, and I'm convinced that, that Knoxville in the center of Tennessee hates cell phone service, hates signal, no matter what. So as soon as we hit to Knoxville, that thing just stopped working. Like, it's just saying wrong way over and over and over again, redirecting. What does it say? Recalculating route over and over and over again. And we're going towards, and we're just taking our friend's account to be fact. And we're going towards Knoxville, and we see the sign, James White Highway. And then, and a little bit, like a mile down the road, it says downtown Knoxville. And in a split moment, me and my roommate were like, should we do it? Do we, take, do we trust that this is the right direction? And for like a moment, he's like nudging me, like, take it, take it, take it. I'm like, I don't want to. I don't know where I'm going to end up. And in that moment, we decided to take that highway, and it, there is nothing around. Like, you get on this highway, and it's like, there's potholes every five feet. The guardrails busted on either side. There's no exits. 
and, it, and there's no speed signs, nothing. Basically, this highway was supposed to go the length of Knoxville, so you could bypass it all the way to Pigeon Forge, but they ran into some legal problems, and there's like houses. Like, you stop, and there's just houses. But there's one off-ramp that's not labeled. And we, we were like, I guess this is where we're getting off. If not, we're running into these houses. We take this, we take this off-ramp, and it places us right where we need to be. In that moment, the entire time, I have this like terrible feeling in my stomach. We have no cell phone service. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? When we enter into God's story, the most uncomfortable, ex- it's the most uncomfortable experience because we're fighting everything in our being. We just keep wanting going to, we just keep wanting going to go back to where we were. Like, man, I wish we didn't make that turn. I wish we didn't make that turn. I wish we didn't go down this way because everything in our being, our being is fighting to just going back to the way we were. And over time, the fear comes because God will slowly just rip away the things of this earth in your life. He'll just slowly rip away the relationships that you shouldn't be in. He'll slowly rip away the, the things of your life that just don't align with God. He'll slowly rip away all these earthly things and he will fill it with his desires and his love. And it just hurts. It's almost like your hands being entirely so cold that you're on the, on the verge of frostbite and you know you need to warm them up, but when you put your hand under that hot water, it hurts so bad. But you know it's the right thing to do. You just hang on to everything in these moments. Seems like we're hanging on to our jobs, our relationships, our habits, our free time, our money, our talents, and we're just trying to hold on to them. But God's saying, you need to release everything and just dive into this discomfort. Israelites over 40 years drew closer and closer and closer to God. They, everything was stripped away from them. Everything, all their things they were comfortable about, all their decisions they used to do, all their relationships they used to do, even their slavery became comfortable to them. And in this moment, God ripped away all of their comforts and put them in a situation where they fully had to trust God. You see over time that instead of grumbling and getting frustrated and trying to go back to where they used to be, they slowly decided to draw near to God. I'm going to give you a little insight on what it's like whenever God calls you into ministry. A lot of you guys have experienced this in some way. I I promise you, you have. Whenever you are going down a certain path in life and God calls you out of where you are, it wants to place you in a position where you're going towards God. When you're called into ministry, God ruins your life completely. Because you have plans for your life. Even if you're a Christian, you're like, you know, I can be a Christian, but I can also be an accountant. I can be a Christian, I can also play sports. I can be a Christian and I, I can go to business school, I can go to law school, I can, be a, I can be a mechanic, I can be a handyman. I can be a Christian and do all of these things, but when you're called to ministry, God completely ruins everything that you have for your life. What he does, he changes your life to his life saying, look, you put all these the identity, identities on yourself. Yeah, you can still be a Christian and do these things, 
but it's no longer about what you want, and it's about what I want. He completely ruins everything that you try to do. If you try to go down the path anyways, he'll just make you hate it. It's almost like um, when you really love this one food, and then your taste buds go away, and then you're like, I don't want to eat this anymore. For me, one of my favorite things to do was to compete. I love playing sports. Everything became a competition. Some of you, some of you people can relate to that. I loved competition. I, I loved watching football with other people and just rooting for my team and like getting really frustrated when they didn't win. I loved being a part of that. Like having it, it almost brought fellowship with me. Playing sports in, in, in high school and then in college. I loved it. Even some ministers are really competitive. But I remember in a moment when I was entering into my, my uh, junior year of college, I had really been fighting this like, urge to go into ministry. I didn't want to be at Bible college anymore. I wasn't doing overly great. My, like my, a lot of my friends had decided that they didn't want to be in ministry, and they transferred out, and I felt like I was in an island by myself. My roommate was, uh, had a lot of friends. Like We were friends, but we weren't overly friends. And I, I, You could almost say that I was in this like, slightly depressed state. God just started stripping away everything that I loved. All of these earthly things in my life, he just started removing it one piece at a time, and it got to the point when it came to competition. I remember we were, we were in a, at a road game, and we got beat by like 20. We were terrible. And everyone's just frustrated in this moment. My coach like yelling at us, and I just have this smile on my face. My coach is like, aren't you frustrated? I'm like, Honestly, no. I don't know what's going on, but I don't really care all that much. I mean, I like playing baseball, but like, we could do, we lost. We get to play in a week anyways. My coach pulled me aside, and he said, what's, what's your deal? You're a captain on this team. You really need to drive people to win. Like, we come out here to win. I'm like, I, I gave my best, but we just came up short. What God did is he changed my identity from competitor to being a Christ follower. He changed my identity from being a Harlemert and doing business stuff to being a pastor. He changed my identity to, to being this overly competitive, maybe angry person into this person that just wants to love every single one of you. Whenever I finally just dove into it and I, and I was like, oh God, I'm going to accept what you have for my life, in that moment I found comfort. It was no longer this like anxiety build thing in, inside my life, but it was a moment of comfort where I could just rely on God and I knew it was going to be good. The Israelites in this moment, when they, when they finally just gave in and they started to love God, there was so much comfort. You see it like an immediate in the story when they, when they decided we're no longer going to go against what God has for us, but whenever Moses goes into his tent, we're all just going to sit around the tent and just wait for, to hear what God has to say. In your comfort, you get to that point when everything is okay, when your relationships are going well, when your job is going well, when your family's going well, your church is going well, you feel like you're connecting with God on every single moment. Everything is firing on all cylinders, and you're like, man, I am, I am close to God. Don't freak out. But in every moment, stay faithful and obedient to what God's calling you. Make sure 
that your heart, your soul, your mind is going in direction towards God because in the moment when it doesn't, when, it, when we're not in our comfort anymore, we want to make sure that we automatically choose God over everything. Forty years later in this story, Israelites are wandering around. They haven't made any decision for themselves for 40 years. They've only been following the laws of God, listening to Moses every step of the way. They had some bumps along the way, but they get to the point where they were 40 years ago. They get to the Jordan, and they have to decide, are we going to enter into the promised land? So instead of sending 12 spies, Joshua's like, well, that didn't work, so we're just going to send two spies, and they go in there. And they come back, and this is how they respond. The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear before us. We need to go in. That is a complete 180 from where they were 40 years ago. I'm going to ask the band to come, come back up. The people for 40 years decided that they were just going to follow God, whatever they're going to do. For 40 years, God put them in discomfort and ripped away all these earthly things and said, we are just going to follow God in our discomfort. And I believe right before they reached the point of the Jordan, they found comfort, and it didn't matter what they found in the promised land. It didn't matter what the two spies came back and said. They were going to go no matter what. Jesus had a lot of conversations with teachers in the law. He often talked about the path to heaven. The teacher of the law overly and obsessed with this idea of how are we going to get to heaven? We're going to do whatever it takes to go to heaven. And Jesus always loved to flip the script. He talked about how it is so difficult for you to get to heaven. He would say things like, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He just wanted to make sure that people understood that you cannot by yourself get into heaven. Paul in the New Testament, I believe, is the greatest missionary to ever walk this earth. He planted more churches than most people that I know. He reached an entire side of, of the world for Christ, and he was going to stop at nothing, even death, to make sure people follow Jesus Christ. And he struggled with this idea. This idea of being in discomfort and making the right decisions in our life. He said in, in a moment of weakness, but, but gave him strength, it says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I, for what I do, I do not do. For what I hate, I do. And if I do not what I do not want to do, I agree with the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I, know the good it's, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I just keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin who lives in me. In our discomfort, when we enter onto the highway of, our, of God, 
we enter onto the path of God and we are going towards Him, we need to make sure that we follow Him with everything that we, that we, that we think. Everything in our being is following towards Him with everything that we have. And there will be moments, just like the Israelites, where we fail. There will be moments where we're like, man, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just said that to somebody else. I can't believe I treated somebody like that. I can't believe I just spent the money the way that I did. I can't believe I chose myself over God. I want you to rely on this, what Paul said at the end of his story. He said this, Thanks be to God who delivered me through Jesus Christ our Lord. As we continue this series, as we get onto the path of God and we're going towards Him, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Sometimes it seems like it's taken forever, just like the Israelites felt. Sometimes it feels like the outcome of the situation isn't what you want. And sometimes when you're on that path towards God, you fail. Sometimes it feels like other people's story is just so much greater than yours and you just don't want to try. I want you to confidently say with this, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. At the end of 40 years of them walking through the desert, and they get to that point where they're just about to enter into the promised land for the first time. They've been wandering and wandering and wandering. They've been dreaming about this day for 40 years. I can confidently believe and say that they're like, thanks be to God that he's been delivering us through this. Thanks be to God that for 40 years they, he's made us not choose anything, but we in a moment of discomfort will choose him no matter what because his way is the only way. In the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at stories like this where God took his promised people towards him in every direction. These Israelites will go through things where their discomfort they don't, they don't understand why God is bringing them in that direction. They don't understand the, the final decision on why he makes things happen. And they don't even understand why they keep messing up and making bad choices. But in all things, they under, understand that God is going to deliver them no matter what. As we continue in worship today, I want you to understand that if you're on God's path and it doesn't make sense, it's okay. If you're going towards God and it's frustrating, it's okay. If you're going towards God and you're like, how long is this going to take before this is taken away? I promise you it's okay. Because thanks be to God, Jesus Christ came. He died for our sins. And because of that, we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we need to rely solely on that in our discomfort. Whenever it becomes comfort again, we need to remember. We need to remember that we need to stay faithful and obedient no matter what.